recognize today uh, all the way from Los Angeles, California, is a graduate of the Dream Center Leadership School, and that is Matthew Kelly is all the way in the back, grandson of Rita and uh, Rita Frazier, and also great son, grandson of um, a... Uh, uh, Sister Cossey, and Matthew just gave me a hug because he said my daughter Alyssa is sending that through him to me. Yeah. Amen. And we're proud of Matthew and the effort that he's made and the spiritual maturation and the growth uh, that he has uh, incurred by serving some, in some difficult places. Amen. Aren't you thankful for our young adults who are accepting the call of ministry? If you want to support, Sherry and I will be out of town. I'll announce that Wednesday night because our son Anthony graduates Friday from Navy Officer Training School. So we have to leave Wednesday. That's a great moment for us. But JoJo is going to be uh, leading the Wednesday night service, and two of his ICM students are going to be preaching the Word of God, one male, one female. I mean, you know they need our support. So why don't you come out Wednesday night and lend your ear. Come on. And say amen to them more than you say to me because they need it. Right? I'm going to ask you to stand up with me today. I wore you away with announcements, but we can't apologize. Don't want to. It's so great to be able to, uh, in, to invite these group of 12 men and women that have joined our church with their families. But now we're going to do something that's required of us in ministry. We're going to go from a lot of practical things, from reading announcement bulletins, talking about this event and that event, and we're going to just kind of step into a new arena. We're going to shut off that, the, the other extremities, the sides around us, and we're going to say, God, do you have a word for us today? Can you help us? And let me ask you, church family, now, everybody's life in here differs some. And some of you may be in the greatest season of your life, while others are in difficult seasons of your life. But today is a word for the corporate body. And as we get ready to read this today, it's going to be up to you to decide. To decide whether this is a prophetic word to our church and to connect with a prophetic word that is resounding to the church in general concerning the subject matter that I'm going to deal with today. And it's not an easy subject matter. It's not something, this will be the most challenging message I'll preach all year up until this point. And, but my heart's prepared. The question is, is your heart prepared? I'm going to tell you right now, even if you get mad at me today, don't leave until I finish. Let, let, let me finish it today. And then you go home and ponder it. And the rest is up to you. My job is to preach what God lays on my heart. And to challenge you in ways and means that will, that will allow God to speak life to his church. And for you to go out into the community as a bright and shining light. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter number 18. The reason I'm taking a little more time, I'm only reading about eight verses of scripture. 1 Kings chapter number 18, verses 17 through 21 will our, be our beginning text and then from there, we'll read three verses in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. So we are in 1 Kings chapter number 18, verse number 17. Here, the scripture says, and it came to pass. I want everybody to calm down. I don't want us to be in a hurry. I want us to pause and let this soak in. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? But he, being Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send, gather to me all Israel, 
unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? How long will you stand between two opinions? If the Lord, in the Hebrew, is Yahweh or Jehovah, be God Elohim. So read it that way. If, if Yahweh be Elohim, follow him. But if Baal be Elohim or is God, then follow him. And this last is kind of like a lot of my sermons. And the people answered him, not a word. Let's go on, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Verse number 14. The Apostle Paul writing, there's a much deeper parallel to what took place on Mount Carmel and what Paul is writing and addressing in the Corinthians than time will allow me to elaborate on. You'll get a hint of it today. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christian church. Did you notice this? The Corinthians. The last I checked when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, this particular epistle, he is writing it to the saints. Second verse of the first chapter. Now he is exhorting the Christian saints, believers, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Did y'all hear that? He's directing this to the church. Now the 20th verse. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Come on, everybody said amen. I didn't write it, I just read it. I'm going to talk to you today. This is what's on my heart. It's the terminology that I've used to use as a title message today, good, bad, or right, or wrong. Here's the words. You could say it in your heart. It's about to go down. Okay? I know that's slang, but that's what I get in my spirit when I think about some of the cultural things that are happening right in front of us. You can't hide from it. Even up here in the supposed safe place of the hill country of north central Arkansas. Because when it goes down, it's going to affect us all. So it's about to go down. Let's brace for it. Come on, let's brace. Let's listen. Father of heaven, we love you. We've set our heart as a fellowship. And God, only you know. The church doesn't know. Father God, the church doesn't know the time, the, the contemplation and meditations that I've given to this message in humility, saying, God, I hope this is right. I don't want to stand in front of the church family and steer them in a direction that's not been validated by the authoritative word of God. So I pray today with a clear conviction, Father, that I'm going to minister this word. Open the eyes, open the ear, and open the heart of every person in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And you can be seated. Does anybody know, just real quickly, what it means, what this word means very quickly, and that is a volatile Volatility. Just a little bit of a word search on that. 
It simply means this. It's liable to change. I like the way they, the Miriam Dictionary put it. Things are liable to change rapidly and unexpectedly and unpredictably, especially for the worse. Did you hear, did you hear that? Let me, let me go and say it. When things are volatile, that means that things can happen and change and shift quickly and suddenly. Like standing on the edge of an ocean, looking at what you think is a far distant cloud, and you're admiring it, only to realize it's a coming tsunami, that it can change and change quickly. As a pastor, I don't want to be guilty of fear-mongering. I don't want to be guilty of creating a false hysteria using both world events or biblical scenarios that will create a fearful anticipation of the future. I'm a positive person. I live in a positive realm. I trust God, don't you? If God be for me, then who can be against me? But I want to say this. I don't want to fail to be culturally vibrant, and I don't want to fail to discern the eastern sky. Jesus said you can discern the sky, but you can't tell the times you're living in to his generation. Here's the reality. A growing, mounting, anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-life, anti-Bible, anti-Christ spirit has been morphing in America. And let me just tell you, it's about to go down. Let's go a little bit farther. My hope, my faith, my forecaster is the Word of God, not Fox News, certainly not the failed CNN news, but my forecaster is the Word of God, and that is to pray that God can speak to us from His Word, prophetic application of the Word of God. We yearn to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Only you can decide is the message political or prophetic. You got to decide. I believe that there's a prophetic parallel, and what I'm going to talk about in a few moments, in the life and times of ancient Israel that needs to be observed here today for just a moment. And first of all, let me ask you this real quickly. Do you believe in devils? Why do I use that term devil? In the King James, you won't find the more common usage of the word demons. The King James English, it's devils. It's the plurality of the term devil, which we, figure, uh, we associate with a singular figure, um, whom this, we call Lucifer or the Slewfoot or the old dragon or the old serpent, but we also note in Scripture about his tail when he was cast out of heaven, taking with him a third of the innumerable stars of the heaven, which we associate to be angels. You can call them fallen angels, fallen demons, but for me, I believe in the presence of devils or demons. I do. But in saying that, I want to say this very quickly. I don't blame everything on the devil, right? Uh, but, I, but I certainly believe the scriptural narrative. You're not warfare, it's not with flesh and blood. We've not wet the swords of jihad, right? We've not. But Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principality and power against spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness, ancient devils that know no time or season, right? But they can morph and they can hide, and we can, we're going to talk about in just a moment. And, and in, the, in the passage, Paul spoke about idolatry. And, Paul, and idolatry in those days as it is in these days in the culture where you can look at it and easily observe idolatry when there is a statue 
that people are worshiping before, you can call that an idol. They call it a god. We call it an idol. But Paul said the statue's nothing. Paul said the idol's nothing. It's made of gold, silver, metal, mortar, wood, clay. He said it's nothing. He said, but when the Gentiles sacrifice, they're actually sacrificing to devils. Isn't that what he read? What we read in 1 Corinthians? So as you consider idolatry, the idolatry that Paul said you've got to flee from, it's possible that the idolatry of one generation can morph or change into something else, but the spirit that was behind it is still the same. Now let me say that again so you can catch this, because that's especially true in the biblical narrative. The idol of one culture, an ancient idolatrous practice of one culture or generation, once that culture was either conquered or absorbed or faded into obscurity, their religious practices might fade to, and a little bit into antiquity. But some of their practices might be absorbed by the, the new generation. The idol can be renamed. The idol can be reshaped. In our generation, we use the term repurposed. But the reality is there is a spirit behind it that's unchanged, unmoved. He's evil. I believe the enemy is evil today. I believe in good and evil based upon a biblical narrative. And in this context, when I speak of devils or demons, the demons want to be worshipped. They long for your worship. They want, long for the worship of mankind. They're destructive. Jesus said that the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The scripture speaks about that the, the devils are bloodthirsty. They're unsatisfiable. Their desire for blood. They cannot be satisfied in their appeasement. They want more and more of the blood of the sons of men. And the reality is in the days of the kings of Israel, let me take you into the historical narrative for just a moment. This is following Solomon's death. Solomon, the, the king of David, or the son of David, the king, the third king in the lineage of the kings of, of Israel. Upon his death, there's a prophetic uh, judgment where the nation would be split. And Jeroboam has split the nation and taken the northern tribes with him while the lineage of David remains in the southern kingdom. If you take the time, now get, work with me historically for just a moment. And certainly everyone knows I'm not a historian, but there is such truth contained in the history of this moment. It's a parallel, a picture if we will look at it very, very closely. And we can see that when the nation split, Jeroboam introduced the golden calf, reintroduced hundreds of years later. Remember, the golden calf had perished when Moses came down from the mountain. And he took the calf out of Aaron's hand and had it ground in the, and, and, and burned in the fire. But the devil, the devil that had introduced it was still active. And so hundreds of years later when Jeroboam introduced it, the minds of people fall uh, prey to the idolatry. And so Jeroboam introduces the worship of the golden calves. And so then the Bible gives us the narrative of the time frame that we're living in here. And it speaks of a king notorious in scripture. He's called King Ahab. He's seventh in the succession of the kings. Now let me put you in the right narrative for a moment. The, the ten northern tribes belong to Israel. The two southern tribes are now known as Judah. In the southern kingdom is the temple, Jerusalem. And the biblical narrative tells us that the southern kingdom was able to maintain just a little bit 
more consistently of the true worship of Yahweh because of the presence of the temple and the priesthood and because of the reading of the Torah. But see, Jeroboam had prevented people from going to worship at Jerusalem because he knew if they heard the word, they would be convicted and their hearts would turn back to the worship of Yahweh. So he's prevented the northern tribe from worshiping in Jerusalem. And by the time that we see the narrative here today, Ahab then, the Bible says this about Ahab. The Bible says that he does evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Scripture tells us that he's a successful military leader and a logistical coordinator, but he's notorious in following the practices of Jeroboam. The Bible plainly says in the 16th chapter that he followed the practices of Jeroboam in the worshiping of the golden calves. But then the Scripture then says something about what Ahab did that would set the mark for the, for the evil that he practiced for the rest of his days. When the Bible says this, above this, he said, if it wasn't one thing, this is what the writer said. Time didn't allow me to read it. But the 16th chapter of 1 Kings, the writer said, if it wasn't bad enough that he worshipped through the golden calves, he did even further. He goes even further north, and he marries the daughter of Ethbel, Ethbel who is now the king of Sidon. His daughter is notoriously in Scripture known as Jezebel. And so the Bible then says and tells us about Jezebel for just a moment. Now, you've got to put this together. Ethbel has previously been a priest in the worship of Asherah. Remember idolatry. Asherah is the female goddess of love, childbirth, and fertility. But also they practice Baal worship, which we'll talk about in a moment. So Jezebel, she's the former princess of Zidon, but now she's the queen of Israel. And she is a fully devout worshiper of not only Asherah, who is the goddess of love, childbirth, and fertility, but she is also the worshiper of Baal, the god of the sun, the rain, the thunder, and of the heaven. And so let me tell you, church, these are not just stories that we talk. This is history where nations are moved by the practices of their, of their leaders and the influence upon their culture. And so then the Bible notes this, that if that wasn't bad enough that he married Jezebel, then to honor her, he erected a house of Baal in Samaria. And then the Bible says that he made a grove. Now, some of you don't know what a grove is, but I'm going to be just to tell you what. Most of the time you see a grove, it is actually trees that have either been cut down or left with the roots in the ground, and they have been shaped or carved into the image of a male penis for the purpose of inciting celestial sex between Baal and Asherah, or Asherah as we see in the scripture. And I know you sit here today with our rose-colored glasses and say that can't really be the case. That was really the case. The minds of people through the influence of demonic powers had been so deceived that they believed that they could erect a statue and incite deities in the celestial realm to have sexual uh, experiences that would promise fertility upon the land. That's what history records that we're dealing with. As the worship of Baal increased and spread, sexual rituals would take place. These were called the detestable, are y'all with me out there, church family? The detestable practices of the Canaanites. And they morphed into distinct cultural religions. Slight name changes to the deity, slight changes to worship practices, but it's the same devil. Come on, you can reshape it, remold it, reform it, but it's the same devil behind it. 
and the worship being sexual in nature, in order to gain the promise of rain on the agricultural fields, the people would practice cult prostitution. That's what Temple of Bell meant. Cult prostitution in order to incite the celestial sex to gain the necessary rain and the fertility of the harvest. And the people of Israel fell into the lust and the lure of idolatry. Right? This is the truth here today. Now later, not at this time, but later they would begin to worship another Canaanite deity that would resurface named Molech. Molech was the deity of the Ammonites that demanded child sacrifice. So let's see if we can put this together. Because the only way to deal with the unwanted children conceived in the promiscuous perversion of idolatry was to form another idol which would consume the blood of the, un, the innocent unwanted children. Did, did you hear what I'm saying? That was what was happening at the time that we read about in 1 Kings chapter number 18 when suddenly out of nowhere appears an unlikely figure. Elijah the prophet arises, chapter number 17. He's called the Tishbite. He's from the inhabitants of Gilead. He's rough, he's grizzled, and he's grieved by the idolatry of the land and by the idolatry of the kingdom. And he confronts the king, and he goes in with a bold, provocative anointing upon his life. I don't know how he gained access to King Ahab. I don't know if he interrupted a procession of the king as he walked through the streets of Samaria where he's erected his temple or his, his, his uh, capital for the northern kingdom of Israel. The Bible doesn't tell us how he gained the presence of the king, but with a boldness that can only come from God. Because the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. It took an authoritative voice from God, his head listening to the voice, his ear listening to the voice of God to have the courage to confront the powerful entity, the powerful leader of his day, Ahab. And the Bible says that he tells Ahab this, it's not going to rain, not even going to do on the ground, he said, for three years, not till my word. And he locks heaven up by his prayer. That's the power of prayer, isn't it? The power to close up heaven and to unlock heaven. And then the Bible says that, that the, he disappears into hiding. He's a fugitive from the wrath of the king. Obviously what God is up to. God is going to validate to the people that Baal is not the God of the sky. That Baal is not the God of the thunder. That Baal is not the God of the rain. But that Jehovah is the God of heaven and he's the God of the earth below. Glory to God. And he's going to display, he's going to cast down that deity the way he cast down the deities when he brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Elijah disappears. The king probably dismissed it initially. I could just see Ahab in his pride and arrogance laughing with Jezebel at the grizzled prophet making his proclamation until the month went by and no rain. And I'm sure he said, well, we're in the dry season right now. And so it's just a natural... You know, it's climate change, Jezebel. We're just going through climate change right now. Everything's going to be all right. And then they were expecting the fall rain so they could have the latter harvest and no rain came. And then the second year, the spring rains were expected to come so that they could plant, the har plant for the harvest and no rain came. And by then, all of a sudden, the reality is this, is that there's a key that's turned the fountain and locked heaven and water's not going to fall. 
And so Elijah becomes a fugitive. It's famous in Scripture about his hiding place. First, first beside the brook Cherith. And then after that, God takes him. You know where God takes him? This is another message altogether. But when the, you hear about Elijah going to Zarephath, Zarephath is the capital of Zidon. God hid his man right in the backyard of the birthplace of the idolatrous practices. And God hid his man that was, he was using to shut up heaven. I'll tell you, God will put his men and his women where he chooses to do his bidding. But that's another sermon altogether, so don't get me started on this. And during that time period, the reality is this. The drought takes effect. What's the drought take? When the drought takes effect, famine follows. Famine follows. Ahab searches fervently for Elijah. But during this time period, Jezebel continues her obsession with Baal worship. She is obsessed by it. She now has 450 prophets or priests and 400 prophets. One's for the grove and the other's for the house or the temple worship. And she is feeding them from the resources gained through the taxation of the people. And she's providing for these false prophets. And in retribution to the worship of Yahweh, listen, church family, she launches an all-out assault on the prophets of God. She begins to go from little meeting place to meeting place to find anybody. Now, remember, the priesthoods in the southern kingdom, in the northern kingdom, are only those that are a part of the prophetic voice. And she begins to target them. The Bible uses this term. You can, un, you can define what it means, cut off. She cuts off the prophets. What does that mean? She kills the prophets of God. Obadiah, in his zeal to protect, Obadiah is the steward of Ahab's house. But the Bible says plainly that he fears the Lord. He takes a hundred prophets and he hides them in a cave and he feeds them there with bread and water. And daily a search is made by the king for the prophet whom he hopes to be, uh, hold responsible for the future. Daily the idolatrous sexual perversion continues. Daily she's hoping to entice the gods into sexual frenzy. Daily the sounds of unwanted children begin to be heard throughout the land. Daily Jezebel's hatred for Yahweh and his prophet grows. Things are becoming volatile in the land of Israel. The voice of the prophetic is now silenced by Jezebel's persecution and the granite walls of her cave, or of Obadiah's cave. And after three years, and this is where our narrative picks up, we read in the 1 Kings 18, three years into the drought, the word of the Lord returns to Elijah, go and meet Ahab, because I'm going to send rain on the, on the land. Let me tell you about God. God is merciful. Up until that time, there was no national repentance, but we serve a merciful God. Don't we, church family? And so he goes and he speaks to the king. And we read the meeting. And I want you to see this. When the meeting occurs, when the king lays eyes on Elijah, Ahab says to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You're the one. You're the fault. You're the reason there's no rain in the land. And then Elijah responds, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and has followed Baal. And so when I was studying this, I noticed how each one is totally convinced the other's religious views are responsible for the plight of the people and for the drought. Now, I wrote it this way. Listen, when two things are in total contrast to each other, it's possible for both to be wrong. But it's impossible for both to be right. 
Did y'all hear that? Let me say it one more time because I'm out there ahead of y'all. I'm going to say it. Listen, when two things are in total contrast to each other, it is possible for both to be wrong, but it's impossible for both to be right. And so one of the most famous showdowns in the history of the world will take place on Mount Carmel. I know we celebrated D-Day this past week, and that was a famous moment in the history of mankind, in our most recent history. But here's a famous showdown that took place without the firing of a weapon on a mountain overlooking the Jezreel Valley on the east and in the far distance, the Mediterranean Sea to the west, Elijah the lone prophet confronts 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah calls the people those famous words, the 21st verse. How long are you going to stand between two opinions? How long are you going to be indecisive? How long are you going to have one foot in the worship of Yahweh and one foot in the worship of Baal? you got to make up your mind because it's about to go down. He's about to go down. And so let me tell you, you know what? That, that's a powerful story that we'll have to talk about at a later time because I want to I detour right now. And I want to ask you, is there a prophetic connection to this account? Because this, I'm not as old as some of you, and I'm older than others of you. But this is my awareness. Not since the civil rights movement of the 60s has the United States of America been more volatile. I'm going to say it again. Y'all aren't with me, but I'm gonna, I'm, the Lord told me to preach it anyhow. The Lord said preach this week and next week like it was my last, and I'm going to. The uneasiness, the instability, the hatred, the volatility, it's beginning to heat up. In a time that, unlike any that we've seen in the most recent history of America, a nation born from the precepts of Scripture has descended into moral decay. Many of the traditional values and morals and biblical teachings have been subjected, ridiculed, censored, and replaced. Apostasy can take many forms. Freedom is our nation's greatest gift. Thank God for freedom. But for our freedom will eventually lead us to our greatest downfall. Because men and women are abusing their freedom to satisfy and gratify their own fleshly appetites. The devils that previously inhabited the idols of old have found new homes. I'm going to go on. I'm going to say it whether y'all want me to or not. But I want you to know, say, well, Pastor, what are some of of the things that are housing the same ancient devils? Number one, the ideology of distorted sexual practices of a lust-filled generation is housing the same devils that we saw housed in the statues of Asherah and Molech and Baal of days gone by. What about perverted legislation and legislatures? What about our national education system? Or Hollywood scripts? Or even apostate churches? Because let me tell you, just because you fly a flag or put a cross on a building somewhere does not mean that the people of God are actually meeting inside and that God is blessing that fellowship. And what about a political party set on gratifying the fleshly appetites of its constituents and feeding the bloodthirstiness of ancient devils. I'll keep going. The perverted, distorted sexual practices and lifestyles have produced the sound and is producing the sound of the cries of unwanted children. Molech longs for their blood. You can't satisfy the demon. You can't satisfy the devil. And the devil wants more and more. It's a means of worship. The devil, the demon Molech, cries out for blood. 
And so our generation, to mask having to hear the screams of the child as he or she burns in the cauldron to Molech, have invented what's called modern-day medical abortion so that his cry cannot be heard. And then they will incinerate its body in the fires with a cold callousness of a pagan idolater. And the reality is man cannot hear that cry, but Jehovah God can hear the cry of the unborn in the wombs of their mother. But you know what, church family? There's some folks around the country that are hearing it too. And God is beginning to bring the prophets out of the cave. We've had bread and water too long. We've been silenced too long. We've hid behind the granite walls of the church too long. It's time for men and women to go out into the marketplaces with a bold, brash boldness inspired by the anointing of God. God's calling unlikely men and women and putting them in strategic places, in powerful institutions, so that their voice can be heard. Because the only way to combat darkness is to shine the light of truth into it. Glory to God. It's the only way is to shine the light of truth. And the volatility of America's future, here's the reality, will be determined in the coming weeks, in the coming months, and possibly as late as a few short years as the abortion debate goes full scale. Church family, it's about to go down. You better get ready. It's about to go down because Molech is angry at the sound of the intercessor who's trying to take from him his, what he thirsts for, the blood of the innocent. Let's recount recent events. Are y'all with me out there? Let's recount it for just a moment. New York and Virginia re recently reenacted the bloodthirsty abortion allowances to once again include full-term abortion. Some have tried to say, well, the, 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 the southern states have really come forth with their limitations. Oh, no, it was started by New York and Virginia, and that created the movement. The governor of Virginia even extended the choice of life or death after the child had been born. He said, well, it's still the choice of the mother. The mother delivers that child, and we lay it right there on the table, that then the doctor and the mother can talk back and forth, and they can make the decision whether that living child no longer even connected to its mama by its umbilical cord, whether we as the medical practitioner will go over there and take a knife and jab it right in its heart. That's what it would be. But he said, we're going to let them decide that. And then let's go a little bit farther. So then conservative states, have, and he tried to back up on it, but he was caught in his own lies. But I'm going to just go ahead and preach the truth, whether y'all want to hear it or not. While other conservative states have enacted far stricter abortion limitations, including some states not just in the South, Ohio recently passed the heartbeat bill. Abortions would not be allowed to take place after the heartbeat is identified six to eight weeks into the pregnancy. But you know what's happened with that movement there? Molech. Molech begins to mount, infuriated and outraged and bloodthirsty. And so the rebuttal came out of Chicago, Illinois. And the rebuttal was this, out of the crime capital of the United States, when last weekend 15 people lost their lives on the streets of Chicago. Like the ancient West, people are being gunned down on the streets. As in that area, Molech cries for blood. But did you know the elected representatives of the state of Illinois voted to pass not only legislation that would bring back late-term abortion, but also partial birth abortion would be allowed in the state. Here's the reality. It's not over. Go ahead. I'm just telling you, it's not over. It's only the beginning. The Supreme Court will have to hear it one day. 
There's going to be enough. But let me just tell you, that's not the Supreme Court. That's the Supreme Court of the United States. There's another court that rules and reigns in the kingdoms of men. But the possibility is that Roe versus Wade would be sent back to the states and the legality of abortion would then be made on a state-by-state basis. But volatility or volatility is mounting. Tension is mounting. Pockets of violence are beginning. To, you say, are you fear-mongering? No, I'm just telling you what's happening. I, this already happening, church family. Uh, uh, pockets of violence are beginning to take place. You think what happened at the Kavanaugh hearing. Wait. Wait until somebody comes out of the Supreme Court and reads that we've passed Roe versus Wade back to the states. There will be rebellion and violence all over the United States of America. You get ready. And here's where I came along to tell you. You're going to have to make up your mind. You as a believer are going to have to make up your mind. Elijah, in contrast to the prophets of Baal, put the burden upon the people of Israel. How long are you going to stand between two opinions? Here's what I wrote. I'm tired of the Christian community hiding in the gray area of I don't support abortion, but it's not my right to say. Even the prophets of Baal and Molech, who are they, the liberal leaders? I'll tell you. You say, Pastor, who are the prophets of Baal and Molech in our generation? Get ready. I'm going to say it. It's the liberal leaders of the, de de the Democratic Party. That's who they are. I'm just telling you who it is. I'm going to share with you what I found out as I studied this out. Because a decision, a decision is being passed. Something, there's something more. It's bigger. This is not the 50s and 60s. It's a new day. Recently, the Democratic National Chairman said these words. Every Democrat, like every American, should support a woman's right to make her own choices about her body and health. It's non-negotiable and should not change city by city or state by state. And the biggest threat to women's reproductive rights is the relentless Republican attacks on women's health care, including legal accessible abortion services. And he said blatantly, I will not let, like the spirit of Jezebel, I will not let anyone get in the way of our fight to protect a woman's right to choose. Those are his words, not mine. You can find it yourself. Shortly thereafter, even early this year, a representative from the state of Washington to our Congress said this. As he spoke about abortion rights, she said, I think the party's response is going to be strong. Personally, I do think that there should be a set of core democratic ideals that we all agree to. And here's what she said. You can search this out on your own. That if you can't say, you cannot say you're a Democrat, if these are her words, and it's beginning to move, it's beginning to morph. There are only four elected representatives in all of the Congress and the Senate that are Democrats that are pro-life. Only four. You cannot say you're a Democrat if you're against immigrants, she said, if you're against abortion, if you're against gay marriage, and the LGBTQ rights. Because, let me tell you, church family, a line is being drawn. It is. I'm, not, I, I'm just reading events that have already taken place. And what we're beginning to see, church family, is that more and more pressure is beginning to mount. Businesses are using the arm of their business to put pressure. You saw what happened in Georgia. Georgia passed the heartbeat bill. 
It wasn't long before all these Hollywood elitists began to call out, said, we will not. Did you know the film industry has found a niche in Georgia because they have opened up uh, and lowered their taxes to invite people in? They're making movies down there. In 2016, more movies were produced in Georgia than were in Hollywood. But they are now announcing, many of them are saying, we will not come and we will not do our business with you as a result of your most recent enactment of what they uh, entitled, uh, again, uh, banning abortion with the heartbeat bill. And Netflix and Walt Disney and NBC and Warner Media and Sony Pictures. And they said that if you don't allow for abortion in your state the way that we think it should be, we will not do business in your state any longer. Church family, it's about to go down. You're going to have to decide. You're going to have to make up your mind. It's not over. It's only the beginning. How long will you be between two opinions? Let me say this before I get ready to close. Paul said this. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. I'm just telling you the way I believe it. You don't have to. Some of you may want your membership card back after this message. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, this is my conviction. I believe it's prophetic of the Word of God. The division is growing deeper. Right now, it's political party versus political party. Right now, it's the southern and the Midwest states versus the east and the west coast. Right now, it's liberal versus conservative. But soon, churches will divide. Soon, communities will be forced to choose. Soon, even homes will be split because it's about to go down. Jesus said, don't think I came to send peace. He said, I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. He said, I'll divide the household because you're going to have to make up your mind whether you're going to follow God or you're going to follow the enticement of this world. And to worship God in spirit and in truth, you're going to have to separate yourself from the wickedness of this world. More and more businesses and corporations will be threatening to not do business in states that restrict abortions. Our pathetic, complacent faith will be put to the test. Hmm. The promiscuous sexual practices, the aggressive demands of the LGBT, and the myth of reproductive rights will continue to demand allegiance by its followers, and you as the church are going to have to decide how long will you be between two opinions. Even now, the apathy of our age has bored some of you I preach. Even now, as I preach here today, there are some of you who are counting the minutes till you can get out of here because you're tired of just this old backwoods hillbilly preacher thundering what he sees upon what he reads in the news. And that's your heart. And I'm telling you, God wants your heart because the hour is going to demand it. You're either going to be for him or you're against him. He's going to take you out of the grave because it's going to go down. You're going to have to, it's going to be demanded of us to decide who's God. Jesus in our Christian faith or Baal, Molech in our allegiance to the Democratic Party. If Baal be God, follow him. But if Jehovah be God, follow him because it's about to go down. I close with these words. You say, Pastor Brown, what about today? Let me tell you what about today. You need to take off your rose-colored rapture rescue glasses. I'm just going to tell you like I feel it. You've been sitting back all this time. Well, maybe the Lord will just come and rapture me out, and I'll never have to deal. Well, it ain't happened yet, honey. Okay? So it's time for you to get off of the fence somewhere and make up your mind. You're going to follow God. You're going to make a difference in this community. You're going to silence. You're going to fight. You're going to do the things of God. Or you're going to hide in the cave while people are dying around you. It's time, church family. A day of darkness has descended. It's not coming. It's here. 
Deception is great. The identity of ancient devils is being exposed only by prophetic application. Only through the prophetic word of God. The day of decision draws near. When it arrives, what will your response be? Here's the reality. Y'all get ready. I'm closing. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. That's the, that's the reality of it. Can't both be right because the positions are so in opposition of each other. Both may be wrong, but both cannot be right. Like Ahab and Elijah, one side or the other is responsible for troubling the nation. Which is it? Let me, let me read this to you real quickly as I wrote it this way in my own personal notes. This is the way that one area is looked at by the other. It's either the religious right-wing conservatives who are accused of denying women reproductive rights or reproductive health care, anti-gay, anti-trans, racist bigots, the party of the white and the rich. Or it's the liberal community with its Hollywood elitists and pagan legislators leading the way. This is the way that the right would say about the left. Encouraging sexual deviation and the resultant unwanting children to be destroyed in the fires of Molech. Which is it? It cannot be both. One or the other. Let me ask you this. Does encouraging abstinence, biblical marriage between a man and a woman, and the right to life result in a curse or a blessing to the nation? Or does encouraging sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, and the right to kill the unborn in the womb and then be incinerated in the fire result in a curse or a blessing to the nation. That's really what's at stake. Ahab said, you're the one that brought this upon the nation. Elijah said, you're the one. The Republican says, you're the one. The Democrat says, you're the one. The Word of God shines the light to us. It's up to us. There are churches today that if this message was heard by the leaders of those churches, they would quickly condemn this. They would quickly condemn this as bigotry and evil and misguided and backwoods, hillbillyish. I don't care. I'm not seeking for their justification and approval. I want to just pillow my head on his heartbeat and say, God, whatever you want me to speak, give me the courage. God forbid it be said about Lee Brown that he hid in the back four walls of the cave without the courage to speak what the Word of God says. That's what about me personally. Personally. My question to you is, how long will you be between two opinions? How long will you be silent? It's about to go down. Let me tell you, you hadn't seen the end. You've only saw the beginning. Let me say this. It is my belief that the violence of the civil rights movement of the mid-60s will dim in comparison with the violence that's going to be created if this thing goes down. That's my personal opinion. We can talk about it privately if you'd like. For those in agreement, here's what I'll tell you. Keep binding that devil in prayer. Don't give up in the name of Jesus. Put your foot down by faith. Pull that devil down in Jesus' name. Pull it. Our violence is not in the streets. Our violence is in the spirit. We're violent in the spirit. We don't have weapons. We're not here uh, with weaponry. We're here to bind the devil in the name of Jesus. We've got a weapon that's far greater than any physical weapon. We've got the Word of God, and we exercise it in prayer in Jesus' name. For those of you that are bothered by this prophetic word, that's up to you. 
Search your heart, search your mind. I'm just telling you, a day of decision is coming. It's coming. You say, Pastor, how will we know whose prayers God answers? Elijah said, the God that answers by fire. Let that be God. And fire can be his presence. Fire can be his power. Or fire can be his judgment. But let the God who answers by fire, Tim, let that be God. Christian family, this is not play games church. You want to play games church, you're in the wrong house. This is not fear mongering. This is not hysteria. This is the reality that you're going to live through. And it's time for you to make up your mind. Know what you believe and know why you believe it. Be able to defend it. Walk in love. But speak the truth in love. The devil is just as happy. If he can't kill the prophet, he'll hide you in the cave where your voice is silenced. Come out of your caves. Get involved. Make a difference at whatever level that you can make a difference. Does that make sense today? I'm going to ask our church family if y'all do something with me here today. Would y'all stand up today? In the name of the Lord. I preach my heart. I preach my passion. And I can only tell you on Father's Day, it's going to another level. And after that, I may be looking for a job. That's all right. That's why I have cows. Here's my call. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. That's what I do. And they come running, just like the shepherd that Jace talked about. So I'm going to ask you today. Here's the altar. Come on up. If you want to pray for just a few moments today with me and say, God, I want to pull that devil down in the name of Jesus for the right for children to live for a change in our culture, then come on up, come on up. Let's take a moment to pray, and let's call upon his name in this house in Jesus' name. Father, we come today to pull off our rose-colored glasses and to not act like these things will bypass our generation. Father, but to be fully aware that these things are affecting our culture and community right now and it's only going to magnify in the days ahead. And God, I come today in the name of Jesus. Who will pray with me today for a few moments? Like me, dislike me, think I get too loud, think I jump around, think I spit too much. Either way, if you believe in life, if you believe in the right for the child conceived in the womb to be born and to live and to breathe, then in the name of Jesus, pull that devil down by the Spirit of God. Bind it. It's a devil. It's a Molech. It is Shemosh. It's an ancient deity. We call it a productive, reproductive right. We call it abortion. But God, let me tell you, it's idolatry. Flee from it in the name of Jesus. Flee from it in Jesus' name. God, I pray, I pray, oh God, against the evil of the day in which we live. God, in the name of Jesus. And I pray for the church. The church blinded by complacency and apathy. Blinded, Paul said, flee, my brothers and sisters, from idolatry. God, we have so many in the church who are caught in the vice of idolatry. God, I pray today. I want to ask your church family, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray with me for the Af what was called the African-American community, the Christian community, because there are men and women in the African-American community of faith 
who are, our faith is so mirrored and we are so similar in love and affection and passion in our Pentecostal belief in the name of Jesus, but they got one foot in a party that promotes something that they say they don't believe in. They say themselves, well, I don't believe in it, but it's not my right to tell. If we could just see a mass exodus to say, come out, come out in the name of Jesus. Come out, come out, come out by the Spirit of God. Come out in the name of Jesus. Add your agreement. Add your faith. Trust God. Don't be dependent upon the government. Be dependent upon your faith in Jesus' name for your future. That's our prayer. God, I pray in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those that have been in the, De the Democratic Party that are pro-life. That, Father, they find themselves being persecuted. They find themselves being ostracized. They find themselves, God, uh, attempted to be silent, God, in the name of Jesus. And they're fighting an uphill battle. I pray for them today. Will you pray for me, Father, with church? Will you pray with me for those that are in the Democratic Party, that, God, that are pro-life? I pray for them today, God. I don't know how they survive. I don't know how they face the ridicule. I don't know how they face the mounting pressure. But, God, I hold them up in the name of Jesus, God. And pray, God, give them voice. Give them voice. Give them opportunity. Let them, uh, Father God, either make a difference or make a transition one way or the other, God, in Jesus' name. And God, I also speak to this church family today. They may have noticed that I, have not, I am not in any wise promoting Republican Party, Republican policies. I'm standing on the Word of God. If the Republican Party folds tomorrow, your Word will not fail, God. If the Republican Party turns its back on the, the principles that it supposedly stands on, God, in the name of the Lord, we will stand on the truth of the Word of God. In the name of Jesus, God. Father God, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is not political, but it is prophetic, God, in Jesus' name. It's about an awareness, an awakening into the dangerous times in which we live while we have become so apathetical and complacent that when the pastor stands on the stage on Sunday and says, come to church tonight, we're going to pray for our elected leaders. Only one-third or less of his church will come out. Oh, I know you didn't want to hear that, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Because we want to sit back and complain about it. But when the pastor opens the doors and says, come, join me. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. You ain't got time to pray. All you got time to do is complain. And so in the name of Jesus, God, let judgment start where it should. In the house of God. May we lay our own heart on the altar. God, we are as guilty as anyone else, God. In the name of Jesus, God. And Father, I repent, Father, of my callousness. I repent, Father God, of my apathy. I repent of my little cush life hidden up here in these hills, God, while the sounds and the screams of sorrows of others, God, go unheard in the ears of man, but they're heard in the ears of God. Father, we repent today, God. Apathy, God, can be just as evil as idolatry. And God, we are guilty of that equally as well, and we repent. In the name of Jesus, God, today. And I lay my own heart on the altar today. And I lay my own mind, God. And I stake, Father God, my preaching, uh, Father, my pastoral, uh, if you can call it a pastoral career, God, I'll stake on the line today, God, in the name of Jesus. Because I believe in this. God, uh, when I see Hollywood personalities, they don't have anybody censoring them. 
They don't have any of their own party saying, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't say that. They're using every opportunity to influence their culture. They're using media, Twitter. They're using interviews. They're using their whatever they can to pass a perverted ideology. God forbid that the church remain silent in the cave of Obadiah. But God, give us the courage to come out in the name of Jesus. Let us use whatever tool necessary, Father God, and lift up our voices and make a difference. Now, God, I pray that we won't be ugly. Come on, somebody. We won't be evil. We won't fall prey. We won't fight with hands, and but we'll fight in the Spirit in the name of Jesus. The enemy can fight and do one thing, but God will stand opposite by the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. And we will love men and women, God, because love is a powerful weapon, God. And we believe, Father, in healing, Father God, the hearts of those, God, that have fallen prey to the seduction of idolatry. And if I can pray anything, church family, with you, I pray open the eyes of the church. God, we, we, we fail to see what true idolatry is. God, we think about countries around the world and we think about the eastern countries bowing before buddha and thing we call that idolatry when we see idolatry takes all different types of forms and god paul said flee idolatry you cannot be a partaker of the lord's table and of the table of devils did y'all hear that today church family i didn't say I, i said it but i didn't write it i just read it you cannot be you got to make up your mind you got to make up your mind in the name of Jesus. Now, God, I want to pray another prayer in closing. And I know you're tired, but I don't care, church family. If you got to go, go. I just want to tell you, we got to take prayer. Prayer's our means. Now, we've got a living example of many in this church that got into the foster care because some of those children could have possibly been unwanted. But they survived. They were not aborted. But then sometimes they're still unwanted. And we've got to do our part in every area, not just one area. Come on, church family. We've got to do our part in whatever area that we can. Father, in Jesus' name. God, I pray. I pray today, Father. I pray my heart grieves. Only time will tell, God, whether this message, God, was just, a, Father God, rhetoric or whether it actually carried a true prophetic burden or mantle behind it. I pray today, God, in the name of Jesus, open our eyes. Open our eyes, God. Open our eyes. And let us see the day in which we live. And let us be responsive in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need your power, God. Answer by fire. Come on, church. That's the last prayer today. Answer by fire. The God that answers by fire, God. Put the fire of God in the church. Come on, put the fire of God of judgment of our own heart, our own life, and put the power of God in the church, God. And let the church be empowered in days in ways we've not seen in a hundred years in America, God. Put an anointing in the church. Put the power of ministry, the power of healing, the power of miracles once again in the church, God. Father God, let us be more concerned about conviction than we are with coffee bars. Come on, somebody, in the name of Jesus. Let us be more concerned about what happens inside our heart than what happens uh, uh, in the exterior of our buildings, God, in Jesus' name. God, put it in our hearts, God, to walk before you in humility and in brokenness. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, I can't dictate the steps of the church family today, and I attempt not to.
But God, lead them. Lead them, oh God, I pray. Into whatever path they should go and whatever role they should play. And let them not see that they can't make a difference for they can make a difference, God. That their voice does count in Jesus' name. God, I've laid this burden down. I've done what I've been, I feel like was uh, impressed to do, God. Now I've got to walk down from this place and be the pastor that you call me to be, God. And walk amongst the community and walk in this church family with love and affection, Father God, and affirmation. And I'm going to do all those things. But God, in the name of Jesus, let this truth that I believe is contained in this prophetic parallel, God, resound in our hearts and in our minds in the weeks and the months ahead. Because it is my belief, Father, it's about to go down in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, amen and amen.